Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 3rd December with me, Ian Welsh. The Innovation Forum team have been running the Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities event this week and it was great to catch up with so many members of the IF network. If you attended, I hope you found the sessions useful. I certainly found many of the panellists from all over the world inspiring. A few days ago, just before the conference, I spoke with apparel sector expert Tara Luckman and Dr Mark Sumner from the School of Design at the University of Leeds. We talked about the importance of data transparency in the apparel sector, some specific cotton sector myths that need busted, and how initiatives such as the US Cotton Trust Protocol are enabling data sharing. No news this week. That will return next time. Innovation Forum was pleased to host over 300 attendees at the Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Conference this week. At the close of the event, I tried to put together some themes that emerged. I'm just going to share a few thoughts on what has emerged over the past three days. We reflected quite a lot on the outcomes from COP26 and there was consensus that there was some real progress in Glasgow, particularly around the linking of different strands of tackling climate change, deforestation, the biodiversity crisis and the impact on indigenous communities. A number of comments coalesced around the fact that nature, biodiversity and forests had rarely been so much a central part of a COP. The involvement of civil society with the mobilisation of protesters was widely welcomed. However, the continued failure to meet the 2009 Copenhagen COP's annual target of $100 billion of climate financing, originally due by 2020, is of course disappointing. And there is a sense that it is all too little too late. The real measure of success from COP26 will be if the doubters are eventually proved wrong. There's a lot to do and actions must be ratcheted on significantly. Investment from consuming countries that helps replace livelihoods in producer countries to diversifying economies, giving local communities the real chance to develop different relationships with their forests is essential. And government, business and civil society all have roles to play here. In terms of procurement policies, as requirements and expectations from all stakeholders evolve, a process of continual review of policy, updating as often as every six months, if necessary, can help. And there isn't clear need for sensitive remediation thinking when a supplier indicates a willingness or desire to improve performance with a sensible roadmap that enables the supplier to do what's necessary on a realistic timeline. It's not yet clear how a landscape approach can work at scale, but it is clear that environmental, social and economic agenda must be tied together. And for a forest positive approach to work, There should be clear connection between markets and growers that create effective landscapes for farmers and governments. Now we've heard a lot about smallholder farmers and a standout for me was the importance of getting smallholder voices genuinely involved in corporate decision making alongside accessing the finance that can help big companies as well as SMEs help their grower suppliers. And we had three smallholders on our opening session today. The challenges for them were pretty clear. Being able to mitigate the impacts of climate change, access to finance, fair price for products, being paid in a timely manner, a lack of respect from buyers. Their input was powerful and humbling, as were the contributions from the community members on the Indigenous People's Rights session earlier. Their frustration at a lack of on-the-ground cooperation from plantation companies in the community-based monitoring project was obvious. As one of our panels said, there's been enough talking at high level, it is now time for action on the ground. And the big challenge for international brands is that while they may have honest and stretching commitments at that high level, there remains a significant job in shifting behaviour of the suppliers, mills and middlemen that sit between them and the growing communities. 
A big opportunity lies around the growing understanding of the importance of reforestation, with a developing body of knowledge around how we can design good agroforestry systems. Forest restoration is the ultimate goal, and there are some clear examples of how this can work. Doing this within working landscapes means there are clear funding routes to enable long-term restoration. I also picked up a definite sense of pride in what has been achieved, whatever the scale of what is to come. And there was a sense that brands that want to really make landscape level change have accepted that having senior people closer to those landscapes is important. All part of the primary challenge of building trust and strong community relationships. The need for collaboration was a key theme as ever, and a number of contributors stressed their conviction that partnerships have to be scaled given the similar nature of so many of the challenges faced. And sustained finance and the ability to unlock new sources of financing can help, and a holistic approach engaging with the socio-economic realities on the ground alongside the ecological factors should be the goal. To avoid conversations being in the abstract or academic, we were encouraged to get our hands dirty and visit projects on the ground, building relationships with communities and awareness of impacts. And when it comes to materiality and working out the key performance indicators, we had a great four-point list of things to think about earlier today. Firstly, make them integrated and holistic. Secondly, the need to assess process and outcomes. Thirdly, common standards are important. And fourthly, the need to have the right incentives. And finally, an overall theme, and this perhaps reflects back to the conversations around COP, has definitely been the sense of the importance of engaging in biodiversity in nature and a shift away from the debate all being about carbon and greenhouse gas emissions, critical though they are. A few days ago, I had a conversation with Tara Luckman, apparel sector specialist and advisor to the US Cotton Trust Protocol, and Mark Sumner, lecturer in sustainable fashion at the School of Design, University of Leeds. We're going to be talking a bit about data and some of the solutions emerging to help around data issues in apparel supply chains. Mark, why is supply chain data so important in the apparel sector? When we're talking about sustainability, for example, we know that the supply chain has the most significant impacts of all of the stages of the life cycle. So we know that our material choices and where those materials come from have a very significant impact in terms of things like carbon, water and chemical impacts. And it gets down to the granular detail of, for example, if we source cotton from Australia, we know that the water footprint associated with the cotton production in Australia is probably a quarter, if not a fifth, of the water footprint of cotton produced in somewhere like India, for example. Understanding where materials come from is really important from a sustainability point of view. Understanding how they progress through the supply chain in terms of the conversion process of taking that raw material and turning it into finished product also has a significant impact on the sustainability impacts. But of course, it's not just about sustainability. And when we're talking about the business context of this, understanding and knowing your supply chain gives you the opportunity to have a much better feel for some of the economic drivers for brands and retailers, for example. So reducing lead times, trying to be more cost effective, getting better value, having better quality, all of those things are associated with better understanding of that supply chain. Having an understanding of where your products are coming from, who's making them, the processes that are being used, and ultimately where those raw materials come from, it goes beyond just general sustainability questions. This is about business imperative. Tara, same question to you. Why is supply chain data so important in the apparel sector in particular? Mark's described that very well, but just honing in a little bit on the environmental and social impacts that that were is a business imperative to address now 
Brands can't address what they can't see. They really need robust information, sources of data that can give them assurances around what's happening in their supply chain, but also this window of opportunity to access where they can apply their resource, where they can partner with suppliers to drive improvement and ultimately validate any claims they want to make. You know, we're in a very anxious era of greenwash and rightly so, you know, we've got to be accountable around the claims we make for sustainability. But this is making even the most capable, mature brands nervous at the moment around legal challenge on the communications they're making about sustainability in their supply chains and their products. There's absolutely a heightened need for robust validated data coming from the supply chain to back up those claims, the reporting that brands want to do, and ultimately evidence that we are heading towards our sustainability goals as a sector. Mark, has there been a lack of data transparency then in the fashion sector? And if there has been, why do you think that is? The simple answer is, yes, there is a lack of data and a lack of flow of data through the supply chain through to brands. There's a couple of reasons why that's happening. So first and foremost, the textile supply chain from your cotton production or from your timber production for viscose or from your polyester production, to get that material through the supply chain to the brands, we're talking about a very complex supply chain, very complex in terms of its length and the number of actors and the connections between those different actors in the supply chain. We also have a major issue for traceability, by the way, in terms of commodity markets. So commodity markets tend to act separately from an individual brand in, in terms of their orders. The cotton production or viscose production is based on commodity markets. They're just producing for world production. And that creates a subtle disconnect in terms of that supply chain. The other thing that we've got going on is there's a lack of trust, I would argue, between different actors in the supply chain. Why are you asking me questions about who my suppliers are? Why do you want to know this data? What are you going to use with that data? In some of the traceability projects I've been involved in, the challenge hasn't been about technology. It hasn't been about finding the connections. It's been about trust and understanding how people use this data to actually, in a positive way, because some people are looking at this data being, you know, being collected about them and then being used in a different way. And in some ways, the analogy is you know, a little bit like social media collecting your data. You don't quite know how that's going to be used. And I think with organisations, we're seeing another side to that as well. And I guess the, the other point to lay out here is that often what we tend to see is these supply chains don't belong to a single brand and suppliers of suppliers, of suppliers don't belong to a single supplier or, or brand. So what you've got here is a very disjointed supply chain that there's a high level of flux Who's my customer? It changes daily. But I also have 20 different customers. And that's not just for the garment makers. That's also for spinning mills, for fabric mills. So you've got a very, very opaque supply chain there that makes it really difficult to extract the data. So Tara then, what sort of data is particularly necessary in the cotton sector? Let's, Let's turn to cotton. Well, I think we've had an interesting evolution of understanding cotton's data. And I think just following what Mark said, the oversimplification has been probably the biggest issue where we've tripped ourselves up as a sector. I think when you start to look into cotton's impacts, you're quite quickly be overwhelmed with the breadth and complexity of cotton production impacts, both in terms of understanding the, the geographies, the diversity of impacts at field level, and the industry understandably has looked for kind of simple aggregated views such as the MSI scoring system or global average LCA data. And 
and we're now maturing in our understanding of this and, and recognizing that that's not just inappropriate but in fact it's been quite counterproductive in terms of understanding cotton's impacts well so we just need to start building now a more contextual geographically relevant understanding of cotton impact data there's no point comparing irrigated and non-irrigated field production data for example or let's compare social impacts from machine picked versus hand harvested cotton there are not apples and apples So I think a number of sustainability initiatives are convening around cotton impacts data and starting to look at ways we can agree consistent measures whilst the actual impacts will be different for different farming systems, for different geographies, the data that we should collect and the way that we review that data and consider how it can be considered alongside each other, even if it's not for comparison, should be more consistent. So I think there's a a real effort at the moment towards that end. You're an advisor to the US Cotton Trust Protocol, new initiative. So how is this initiative increasing access to data around cotton production? I think this is a real strength of the Cotton Trust Protocol. I think partly because it's a technology-focused programme, so it's quite core to the programme's infrastructure in that they're collecting data from every farm participating in the programme on an annual basis, appropriate points in the growing cycle for cotton. And that data then is third party assured. So they're not marking their own homework here. And they're also applying a very transparent modelling of the data. So there's ever improving analysis through the field to market tool that the trust protocol partners with. And then beyond that, publishing the results to the sector. So sharing specifically how practices at field level translate into impact results across their different KPIs. And those first results have just been published and been quite well received, but I encourage any listeners really to, to dive into that. You can find the first annual results from the Trust Protocol and learn quite a lot in there. It's a really rich source of information about US cotton production, the practices that are being championed by the Trust Protocol and how that actually translates into better soil health data, better water management, etc. Mark, it strikes me that this approach is one that's got away from the mass balance approach, which has been prevalent in the the cotton sector till now. Do you think that this sort of traceability is something that can be rolled out across all cotton supply chains? That's a big question. I would definitely argue that there's a need for this type of approach. What we need to be able to do, what the industry needs to be able to do, is to identify good farmers from those that are not so good. That point that Tara's making in terms of best practice on the fields We need to get that visibility or transparency to understand how we identify whether a farmer is doing their utmost to minimise some of the environmental and social impacts. And the only way that we can do that is by linking that farming practice through some sort of tool to be able to say, here we have a farmer and this is what they're doing. And then brands and retailers or other organisations can then use their scorecard and say, you know what? In terms of what that farmer is doing, we can see that they are addressing key points that are important to us or our customers. So by having that type of linkage is really important. One of the challenges, though, with this is the vast number of farming communities around the world. And and just thinking within the United States, the vast number of farmers within the United States with such diverse practices that they have. And recognising that those practices are honed to the local issues that they're facing in terms of, for example, in Texas, you know, having years and years of drought. There's quite a lot that we need to do around making sure that this information that's drawn out, which is really useful information, how we use that information in a constructive way that actually drives and promotes best practice. It strikes me that there's been quite a lot of myths that have developed around cotton supply chain. Looking forwards into the future, what are the myths that you want to see the cotton sector busting, Tara? 
this is not limited to cotton, but cotton has been such a prominent area of myths that need to be busted in the sector. I mean, if we take water use, for example, or chemical impacts, I think it's this issue of viewing them out of context, looking for an easy answer or a, a tweetable kind of statistic is where we need to really challenge ourselves to do better and educate all plants need water to grow. So let's look at the efficiency of water use and the ability to retain that water in the ecosystem. Plant nutrients used well can really enable production efficiencies, land use efficiencies. So let's seek to understand efficient and effective chemical application before we demonise all chemical applications at the farm, for example. So I think that there's just this new level of depth we need to get to. And I think uh, many businesses around the sector are really starting to appreciate that and hence looking for more data, more information to build that understanding. Businesses setting targets around biodiversity, for example, it's just taking to us a new level of maturity in the way that we consider environmental impacts and not looking for a single statistic on a plant being a thirsty crop, for example. I'm hopeful that we're moving on. Mark, yes, it feels like we are moving on. It feels like we're getting beyond the thinking around what are the challenges. It's more a question of actually addressing the challenges. So back to my original question, though, I mean, are there still myths for you that need to be busted? Absolutely, and I, and I totally endorse what Tara's saying. I mean, if I think about 10, 15 years ago when we were really trying to understand the sustainability of the industry, there was this view that cotton, we can talk about an average cotton farm, and on the basis of that, what we can talk about is across the whole world, everyone who's farming cotton has the same average impacts. What's really important to recognise, and this is why traceability and transparency is really important, is to recognise there is enormous variation between cotton production in Senegal versus Pakistan versus China versus the United States. And when we understand that we've got that huge variation, that absolutely tells us that we have to have traceability. If you really want to understand the impact that you have in terms of your production and in terms of products going out in the market, that's the first myth about this idea of average cotton just does not exist. The other thing is getting into the detail that there's been huge steps forward in terms of pesticide use in the industry, for example. So often there's these figures quoted from the early 1990s about pesticide use in the industry, and that's not reflective of where we are in 2020. There's still a long way to go. But there's been some really good progress there as well. We should also recognise that cotton is a plant that is impacted by seasonal variations. So what we look at in terms of cotton production in one season is going to be very different to the next season. So traceability and transparency has to be done in a live model. You know, that you can't just take data from 2020 and apply that to 2021 and 2022. This is a constant thing that's going on. And I think the other thing that we need to really break down as a myth is the fashion and textile industry and cotton as part of that is all about harm. There's no benefit. And that is just not clearly true. We know that cotton production done in the right way can be very supportive of farmers in terms of their income, in terms of well-being, supporting local communities. What we're trying to do here is we need to address those issues that we know are there with cotton farming, water use and pesticide use, but do it in a way and protect the positive things that come from this. That's a really important part. And I should obviously just also make the point about water use because Antara's mentioned this. If you look at the water consumption of cotton versus, let's say, wheat or rice, it is nowhere near as thirsty as those crops. The challenge is that cotton is often grown in arid countries and that sort of emphasises its water consumption. But if we're looking at cotton production per kilo versus other products, it's not as thirsty. So it's all about getting the context right on this. And I think there's many other myths that are out there, you know, in the detail of cotton production and textiles. But those are the key ones, I think, that we need to start to erode and, and challenge. 
I think you're absolutely right. The kind of lack of good news sometimes is very easy to focus on the negative side of things rather focusing and thinking in terms of perhaps the positive side of these crops that are bringing benefits to the people that are growing them and their communities. It's been a fascinating conversation. My thanks to, to Tara Luckman and to Mark Sumner for their insights into cotton data. Thank you. Thank you. Innovation Forum is launching its spring conference programme over the next couple of weeks. More information in the podcast next week, but do go to the website for the emerging details. Also online is the usual analysis, podcasts and interviews, including further reflection on the Sustainable Commodities and Landscapes Conference. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh, and until next week, goodbye.